that, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. <laughs> well, don't interrupt. You are so fucked. It has begun. It's the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia-Hale. I'm Pat O'Brien, and you are the opposite of fucked because we got a great show today. Um, we're talking about we're 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 doing our part two of Machina Two, which covers the EPs, and we have a very special guest here to join us in our conversation about them, and that is Alan Passman. He's a poet, author of the new book "When the Pain Starts: Poetry as Sequential Art." Um, out now on Mood, Moontide Press. There's some Smashing Pumpkins uh, references in there, and he's come to, um, yeah, lend lend his voice to the conversation. Alan, welcome. Thanks, guys. Uh, you know, I got to say it's kind of surreal after listening to a handful of episodes, and then, uh, you know, we were just chatting before getting all the levels and everything correct, and then all of a sudden, it's like Frank and Pat just like switched into uh, <laughs> podcast spooky, mode, our, our right? pumpcast mode. Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. Like, uh, like I was, I was kind of like, I'm fucked. What happened? Like we were just talking a second ago. Those but people anyway. are gone now. It's the professional, <laughs> yeah, the professional broadcasting zoo crew. It's our, here. it's our zero in glass persona. I yeah, was, I was just of... about to say that you guys, you know, you're ready to beat the rock and roll heel. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This podcast is sort of when you look at it from a you know ten thousand foot view, it's going to be sort of a rock opera in a way, a mm. podcast opera. Right, right. That you you planned it all along that there was going to be a third installment of of these episodes. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay. So, Alan, we have a mutual friend in common, uh, the wonderful DC Pearson, who joined us for our part two, uh, ep- mm-hmm. our, our second part of our melancholy coverage, and uh, he said, uh, "Hey, I got a friend. Uh, you got to have this guy on." He loves the pumpkins, uh, especially when you cover Machina. You should have this guy on, and uh, we're trying to figure out the the simplest way to to have you involved. Um, and we were going to do a two part Machina proper episode, mm-hmm. and then we were like, let's try to condense it into one. Uh, but we're mm. glad that we could schedule you for this one, Machina Two EPs. Uh, however, we will say uh, there is one song off of Machina proper, Machina One, <laughs> uh, which is Stand Inside Your Love. And that has a lot to do with one of your um, poems. Uh, One's Love Song is another another's breakup jam uh, mm-hmm. that is from this book. Um, would you like to comment, before we get into Machina Two uh, EP songs, would you like to comment on Stand Inside Your Love, maybe what that meant to you, or just Machina in general? You know, um, I, I listened to uh, both of the Machina One episodes that you guys did, and I feel like you you did a really awesome job covering a lot of what was going on because I think Frank and I are around the same age. I was born in '82, yeah. So, um, and and so we, a lot of what you guys were talking about is sort of like the rise of new metal and then like uh, teeny bopper kind of bubblegum pop happening at the same time and how there wasn't really a place for the pumpkins and how that sort of manifested in um, this overall kind of amalgam of, uh, of like everything they had done before sort of showing up in different variations on Machina. Um, it was one of those records that at the time I was, you know, 
I was sad because they were breaking up, um, but also it just so perfectly sort of the metaphors of the band breaking up in the in the lyrics of the record really kind of matched what was going on, you know, with the usual sort of teenage melodrama of you know being like a senior in high school and stuff like that. So. Um, that that record specifically is really important to me. At first, I really didn't get the production because a song that's like now one of my favorites, but at the time I was kind of confused about, was um, The Crying Tree of Mercury. And yeah. it was really on a production level that I was like, the first solo, not the blown out solo towards the end, but the first solo, I was like, did they just like plug a metal zone into <laughs> the console? Like, what is going on with this production? Because it sounded like a, a direct in kind of production yeah. with the guitar solo and stuff. But, um, I, you know, as, as per the title of the poem in the book, which has a lot to deal with, um, you know, when you're a teenager, you misunderstand things, you know, like Billy was writing about uh, his then girlfriend, Yelena Yumchuk and stuff like that. And and that's more of like a mature love. And I was trying to graft it on to, uh, you know, a high school romance. And it was it was too much for the person involved. A little bit of an anecdote um, involving Stand Inside Your Love and that specific uh, young woman who is sort of referenced in the poem and also the, the comic book adaptation is that we actually went to the taping of Politically Incorrect where the pumpkins played. Whoa. Uh, yeah, so we actually, uh, and I think it was before the record was out, so we actually sat there and watched them do The Everlasting Gaze and uh, Stand Inside Your Love, and I think what the poem is based on that interaction is kind of what came from the record coming out either after that. I'm not really sure of the timeline. Um, but yeah, in the poem itself, it's really about trying to share the song with somebody who you think you really have feelings for, but you've really kind of been shitty to them. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, so the song, I will say it is one of the best pumpkin singles ever. Probably it should have been uh, really pushed as the lead single as it was supposed to be uh, because it just sort of, it, it, it encapsulates everything that was great about Melancholy and Adore kind of in, in one nutshell of a package. Mm-hmm. So. And um, just, just so, so everyone knows, we are, we're talking about obviously a poem that Alan wrote, but these are all illustrated. It's a graphic novel, the new book that you have, When the Pain Starts, and each poem is illustrated by a different artist. And this particular one is, um, yeah, is very cool. And it's just sort of juxtaposes like um, basically your teenage self and this relationship with images of the video, the, you know, the pumpkins video and kind of melds them together. Um, So, yeah, everybody should check it out if you're you're a fan of comics and the pumpkins and uh, And that one particularly was illustrated by, how do you say this person's name? Uh, she's Italian, uh, so I think it's uh, Katia Vecchio. Nice. You know, so, so that's that's how I'd go with it. But yeah, in a in a less uh, a less sort of stereotype <laughs> right. Italian Mario. accent, yeah, probably you like, were twirling yeah. a mustache. Yeah, Mom, yeah, it's, 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 it's probably just Katia uh, Katia Vecchio. Vecchio. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it looks incredible. I mean, the the illustrations are beautiful and. Um, I believe you said that uh, some of those illustrations were put on uh, SP Fam Group. 
Yeah, they uh, they were nice enough to reshare it as as you know part of their like fan art Fridays, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's one of those things where it was it was super nice, and I'm super thankful that they did that. Uh, just because, yeah, you know the pumpkins are often, especially in comparison to a lot of their alt rock ilk, they're often maligned as sort of you know they're not valued in the way that they should be. Yeah. to be honest, mm-hmm. and um, and so it's really one of the great things about especially the sort of Instagram resurgence of pumpkins fandom is that uh, you have these moments where you can, you can share that love and it's not immediately hit by a chorus of like, well, Billy said this and, and Mm -hmm. the band did that. And, you know, this record wasn't what I wanted, you know, it's, it's just, you know, to quote crystal waters, 100% pure love, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) it's just, it's good stuff. Yeah, it does seem like it's a more, it's a bit more healthier. I mean, you still get your trolls now and again, but it does feel like it's more celebratory than yeah. any message board or a Facebook group right. for sure. It's it's less likely. That being said, we've we've had yeah, our our yeah. run-ins, but it is less likely to be negative and more like celebratory being like isn't this cool like remember this or i love this or hey check Mm -hmm. out the new single it's 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 we we've enjoyed it we've had mostly positive yeah and i think it's a product of time too because it's like if you're gonna be a person who's sounding off on any band like the smashing pumpkins or any band thing that's been around for 30 years like why why bother bringing your negativity into it you know why why bother coming from a negative uh, hypercritical standpoint criticism and and opinions are great that's also what the show is about but um Mm -hmm. yeah we're definitely in the more celebratory camp and i do think that's kind of like you know a lot of people are looking back and realizing this music is good you know and maybe that's starting to overshadow the other stuff a little bit It'll it'll take a while, honestly. Uh, just you know, we're going through, especially here in the states, we're going through such a um, polarized and fragmented time, um, and so I, I feel like that even bleeds into pop culture and art in terms of you know, I think I think a lot of the sort of the trolling that we've experienced throughout you know uh, this this millennium so far. Uh, really boils down to kind of the uptick in what we've seen politically in this country as far as the polarization. So I think everybody's just super on guard and nobody wants to be wrong. And so if you if if you're like, no, I I, I think this band is is actually, you know, top tier along with these other bands, people are just gonna shut you down because they don't wanna have to, you know, hear someone who doesn't agree with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. So what is your history with the Pumpkins? Uh, give us a little backstory about how you came to them and what your fandom's like now. Um, okay, so I came in uh, to liking the Pumpkins between, I want to say, 93 and 95, so 94, I guess. Um, I started, I had, you know, like a lot of kids in the early 90s, you know, I was, I was going into exiting elementary going into middle school and i was starting to dabble in alternative rock leaving kind of pop and still listening to a little bit of gangster rap because i grew up in uh you know near the la harbor and stuff like that um and so i remember a specific memory of it was a rainy day and it was like nutrition or lunch or whatever um and i was under a an awning and it was raining 
and I was listening to K-Rock here in the LA area and uh, Disarm came on. And it was just this moment that, um, which I'm sure you guys have obviously had, especially with this band, where something clicks where especially when you're an adolescent because all of a sudden you're not a kid but you're not an adult and you've got like you're trying to get these responsibilities that come with adulthood and there's coming of age and um i had a lot of things in my uh childhood that i just couldn't really put into words until i was older and i think a song like disarm and really the other two big singles off the siamese um cherub rock and today they just hit me at the perfect time that by the time Melancholy was about to come out, um, I, you know, and I heard and saw the video for Bullet, I just, uh, I was like, shit, I've got a favorite band. Like I, mm. I'm finally, I've, I've achieved, I've unlocked that milestone as a kid. And then from there, I, you know, went down the rabbit hole. I used uh, a $25 gift certificate to Blockbuster Music, RIP. <laughs> uh, that I got as a bar mitzvah gift. And I, w- I was going in to see if they had the Bullet single because I wasn't sure if I wanted to commit to a double album because that was the thing in those days. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get this and I'm going to get Lenny Kravitz or something. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, because I was, you know, yeah. the big rock period for Lenny. Yeah. label mates with the pumpkins as well mm-hmm. uh and to make a long story short they didn't have a single yet because it was only released in europe so i ended up dropping down 25 bucks it's like 24 something plus tax so it was perfect didn't even have to pay anything else and then from there i you know i listened to the live cast from the riviera which i think is like the blackout boot that yeah. went around for years i don't know if anybody can hear us out there in radio land but all the power went out and you know when you know it. Anyway, thanks for listening to nothing. And it just, something clicked in me. And I was that friend, and you guys talked about this a lot during the Machina episode or at different points. But I was that kid who held on, you know, white-knuckled it through mm-hmm. kind of all my friends who were Pumpkins fans, being like, uh, Jimmy's not in the band anymore. Uh, what is this like? sort of electronica techno crap that they're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and just sort of like, you know, people digging in their heels about how they were not going to support this band anymore. And, and yeah, so other notable things. So I've seen the Pumpkins probably in different iterations, obviously, about six or seven times. The first time was at what is now the Honda Center in Anaheim um, for the Infinite Sadness Tour with Garbage. Um, let's see other notable things. I was actually in the perfect video, but you can't really see me. Really? Wow. I, was, I was, yeah, I was sitting with a bunch of kids, uh, cause it was mostly people in their like teens and twenties who were at the video shoot, but the scene where they shoot underground, uh, the band actually performing, mm-hmm. I was right in the back next to Billy's, you know, Marshall JCM 800. Wow. Um, oh, wow. And, I, and, um, true story. It was hot as fucking balls in this place because it was just the normal kind of show body heat, but there was no ventilation whatsoever. It was filmed off of, I want to say, Hollywood and Cherokee. That's that's where we were, uh, around the corner from like where all those tchotchke shops that sell, you know, you know, uh, tourists, you know, I love LA shirts <laughs> yeah, yeah. and shit like that. Um, right off of the Walk of Fame, 
And I, uh, so, it was so hot. And I just looked at Billy at one point. I was like, do you think you can get us some paper towels? And he's like, you see these tech people around here? That's who you're going to ask for paper towels. It was just really, in hindsight, it was really funny. <laughs> but I felt like such a schmuck as like a 16 year old. Like, here's this guy who's like writing the songs that like feel like they're about my life. And I'm like, can I get a paper towel? Um, but uh, I didn't get to talk to James. I got to talk to Darcy for a second, which was nice. Um, and the best thing about that was they did a full set in between the shoots. So like, and it was Kenny Arnoff on drums. So we got to see Kenny do Where Boys Fear to Tread and Bodies. Um, and uh, and basically most of the songs they that they weren't playing on that tour, a lot of the heavier songs, because I think Billy and the crew wanted to amp up the energy of the people that were there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, a, a note out there as far as, uh, you know, as far as the special releases they're doing on vinyl, Billy, if you're listening to this, that would be a perfect thing if anybody recorded that to get on a, a special vinyl fan release, because that was, it was amazing. It was honestly really amazing. And you got to see the inner workings of the band because Billy and Darcy did bicker a little bit right in front of everybody, mm -hmm. but we don't have to really get into that. But it was, it was interesting to see that the stuff from the Euphoria was actually like not just a, a comical pose, but you know, they were people, they were working together. There was some tension. Um, as far as where I'm at with the newer stuff, um, I think the best thing they did uh, post-2007, I'm actually one of those people who really loves Zeitgeist. Not the whole record, but I think there's a lot of strong material on there. Yeah. There are certain songs I skip. Uh, you know, There's so much acoustic stuff in Billy and the Pumpkins sort of oeuvre that, uh, that like I often skip the title track, but I love a lot of that record oceania is also one of my favorites uh i think that record is gonna really like a fine wine it's gonna age really well absolutely yeah it's one um, of my favorites too yeah I, I mean i really you know no no offense to jack bates he's a great player but i really miss nicole fiorentino yeah i think she's super talented um and then uh monuments probably one of the lower tier records for me personally and then uh with seer uh it's it's a mood record for me i have to i have to be in the mood to listen to it it's hitting all the buttons of stuff i like like shoegaze and synth pop and industrial and all this stuff uh but it, it definitely it's a mood album and it's more of an album that i have to listen to all the way through whereas opposed to like i can throw together a playlist of pretty much everything else and listen to it out of sequence. But that's definitely like a sit down and experience the album kind of record for me. But yeah, still still very much in love with the band. But like anybody, I have my ups and downs as a fan, you know? So that's basically where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds pretty close to our story too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With the exception of the um, the paper towel story. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. really good. That's, well, the, well uh, you haven't asked Billy for paper towels? No, and I wouldn't yeah, deign to. <laughs> you see these hands? They don't touch paper they towels, They kicked us out of the friend. solo show he went to because that's all we kept asking him for. Uh, yeah, paper yeah. Towels, paper so. towel? Oh, man. If somebody would have asked for paper towels at that show. Oh, man. He would have, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After the Darcy. Would have been enough. Yeah. yeah. Somebody brought up Darcy. It was, yeah. Oh, it was a sore subject, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway. Um, yeah. Should we get into uh, talking about the Machina 2 EPs? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sure. So we're just going to give a little history here. Um, so this came out, of course, at the same time that Machina 2 was dropped online. Uh, this were, this was, this was is where I got confused because the version that I had when I downloaded it, 
these songs were out of order. So the EP songs were actually in the what I thought was Machina 2. Mm-hmm. So forever, I always thought that some of these songs like were part of the proper Machina. Right. And when people would talk about the album and they'd exclude like Slow Dawn or uh, Saturn, and I was like, huh? Yeah, mm. that uh, that was one of my favorites too, Saturn. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I think everybody probably, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people probably had that experience or some experience of like having the files and having them in a different order than everybody else or like ha- missing some and not, ha- you know, like I, yeah, I was working off of the CD that had like 20. Two of the twenty-five tracks, or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Mine was missing the heavy metal machine and uh, the try, try, try alternate version. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sorry. it was also it was also the Napster LimeWire period, so you were getting stuff that was either mislabeled or out <laughs> yeah. of order. Because you know, you know, the internet, especially back then, you would go looking for a link that you know you had heard about or you saw a thing on MTV News about it. And then it would be down or gone or like, you know, you get some sort of 404 message. Yeah. And, and and so, uh, so yeah, like that was the interesting thing about the record being released for free was that uh, there wasn't a definitive track listing until people started like, you know, the, the, the Pumpkins fan community is great because of how obsessive mm-hmm. and how meticulous it is. So all of a sudden then they were like, oh yeah, no, this song goes, this is the track listing and this is what was on the vinyl that... You know, you know the the radio station in Chicago got and everything else like that. So yeah, for years I was listening to it out of order as well. Yeah, I I was trying to think of like because um, we had talked about it last time about like with Napster how you would download it's a Smashing Pumpkins and then it's like placebo or yeah, yeah. <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that. Um, Though yeah. I did have a thought that one of these songs does remind me a lot of Placebo. Placebo yeah. I don't know if you guys had that same. Don't thought, don't but. tell Billy that because apparently he's not a fan. Oh yeah, yeah. I think was that at the Bowie thing? Like he and oh, did they Brian a... really didn't get along. Oh really? I know they were both the, in the house, but I didn't know. Yeah, Man, it's so funny. There's some bad. I just rem- when Billy had that brief period of using Twitter, he oh, yeah. <laughs> post he posted something like the band's called Placebo because they have no effect. Oof. So Yikes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I what's you know, up with that? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I I'm actually a placebo fan. Me too. Me yeah. too. Me you know? three. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And placebo did record a song with Bowie for whatever it's worth. You know. Yeah. Maybe that's oh, yeah. where the yeah that title track off of "Without You I'm Nothing" is oh, so good so, with so or good. without Bowie. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. uh, both versions are great. Oh my god, I forgot about yeah that song is so that whole album is great. But uh, that aside, uh, so the history of the the EP is that they're technically B-sides, labeled CR-01, CR-02, etc., all refer to their release on Constantinople Records. I can't get it out, Pat. Constantinople Records. (laughs) Istanbul. Yeah. uh, (laughs) There might be giants there. Mm -hmm. Tiny Tunes was my introduction to They Might Be Giant. Oh, I'm sure it was mine, too. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think our whole generation, if you're watching Kids WB, that's how you got into a lot of things. (laughs) Or or like Fox. It was on Fox at that point anyway. Yeah, yeah. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say People just liked it better that way So take me back to Constantinople No, you can't go back to Constantinople Been a long time gone Constantinople, why did Constantinople get the works? 
That's nobody's business but the jerks. Yeah, Adventures of Pete and Pete introduced me to a lot oh, of bands man. as well. Amazing music and yeah. musicians acting Iggy in that Pop. show. Hell yeah. yeah. Harry. So good. Anyway, the only other Constantinople release uh, is CR-05, which was the Live at the Cabaret Metro 10588. That was a gift given to fans exiting their farewell concert at the Cabaret Metro, which we will be covering in some capacity. We got to figure it out, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's going to be coming up soon. Um, So the songs Let Me Give the World to You, Saturn 9, and Cash Car Star were originally written and recorded for a door, and the original Let Me Give the World to You was produced by Rick Rubin and was later released on the deluxe edition of A Door alongside demos and remixes of Saturn 9 and a remix version of Cash Car Star. And before we move on, we should say that uh, thanks to our usual suspects of spcodex.wiki, spfc.org, and genius.com for the information that we're getting all this from. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you all. Uh, so let's start with EP one CR dash one. The first track is Slow Dawn. It was first recorded on an ADAT during the November 1998, September 99 Pumpkinland sessions and later transferred to analog tape for additional vocals and overdubs. And the master version can be found on Judas O, which we also will be covering Mm -hmm. soon. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So we'll let our guests go first. Alan, what are your feelings on Slow Dawn? Um, I really love this song. Uh, I think it's... You know, it's something that you guys had talked about before where you have uh, this sort of pastiche of different uh, eras of the pumpkin sort of mixing together. I really do love what the song sort of sounds like uh, from an arrangement standpoint because it does really have, it's very pumpkinsy sounding, you know, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and I also feel like even just the opening lyrics, you know, Midnight People and all that stuff, and then they're waiting for a downtown train. That's the. Those are the types. When Billy paints a picture with words, um, that is really evocative and really emotive of something that's very mundane and very everyday. Mm-hmm. But you know, any any you know, living in LA, we don't really have this. But any any major city that has public transportation, there is this sort of restlessness. You know, wanting to get home on a late night, waiting to catch a train or a bus or whatever. Um, and it does sort of. It has that very after the big show kind of vibe to the lyrics mm-hmm. yeah and these are these are the the fans waiting to get home or he's getting home from he's gonna take it <laughs> he's gonna take the train home or something like that and I, I I really do love the song and it, it really does sort of showcase you know the the way that the way that he sang during this era was just really on point because it really was like a mixture of everything from the whisper quiet to the banshee wail of gish to the more you're in the booth with him vibe of a door you know what i mean mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing that one thing that really struck me listening to all of these songs, there are. I, I mean, I will say, and you're you know as a as a poet and a writer, Alan, the you mentioned the pictures he paints. I, I think is the lyrics of these strong these songs are like. There's some really, really strong ones lyrically. Like Incredibly. some of these just really get stuck in your craw for years in a like mm-hmm. just really hook you. And even just something as simple as that midnight people line you mentioned, it, or their hearts be free, cool frequency. Like that's just so memorable. It's I, I don't know. I just it's it's easy to kind of not over not analyze the lyrics on Machina Two over the years just because it's like. It's not the type of album that the other, it's not the sort of completed album that the other albums are, but listening to these hard, like there's some really great songwriting on display. Um, is it just is it just me or like, especially the, the solo that takes us out in this song, it feels like you could place it in a, in a live set right next to something like Plume mm-hmm. or Whirr or something off of Pisces. Absolutely. And, that, and that's the timelessness of the type of songwriting we're talking about that it can easily dip into some other era of yeah. the band and still sound as as crisp and as fresh as as the other stuff and i'm a sucker for i could listen to billy run scales like and james oh, yeah. too And, and Jeff as well. I mean, they're all really talented guitar players. And but there's something about a Corrigan lead that just is is you know it's the sum of its parts. It's his like heavy metal guitar hero worship, but it's also loving people like Robert Smith and stuff like that. Right. So it's um, and and so but like even down to the guitar tone, it just it feels very reminiscent of uh, of what they were doing you know just maybe four years prior yeah i and i it got me thinking i wouldn't be see one thing that i've started to pick up on um while listening to machina 2 is the more so than machina 1 actually just because maybe the songs are a little the production is a little more um not certainly not bare bones but like a little less done up or something but the connection to uh, melancholy just the, like this song, when the guitar, um, when that solo kicks in, this this song really reminds me of picking up something, it, it, you know, that that melancholy left off, and it got me thinking. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we heard something on the new album that kind of passes the baton forward from the 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 way this sounds. If that if that I don't know, it just occurred to me that like, oh, I am when they talk about the these two albums being part of a trilogy i would i never connected that before but now that we're thinking about it knowing this third installment is coming i don't know this song just struck me as like maybe they will there could be some connection um you know musically there yeah it definitely feels like the bridge that you were talking like we were talking about how like oh now we kind of see now that we've been in the machina because when we heard that news about it being like part of a trilogy like oh, I never really connected Machina with uh, other than like a big theme. Yeah, me neither, really. Yeah. But then like this is the type of song that is definitely a bridge between Melancholy and mm-hmm. Machina that feels like a little bit more organic. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm such a big fan of this song. I just love that hazy, that fuzzy, hazy feel to it. And like I think mm-hmm. part of that lo-fi production or the lo-fi transfer really helps with that. 
Uh, it's like watching a old VHS that you kind of like, you know, if you mm-hmm. watch like The Empire Strikes Back on a VHS that was recorded off of TV and there's some yeah. a certain kind of charm to it. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. That's the way this feels to me. And you, you made the point because Pat and I uh, lived in New York for over a decade or so. Mm-hmm. And like that, yeah, that we've had like late nights and early mornings and stuff and that waiting for a train and that feeling or you can't get a cab or you know any of that stuff it really does paint that picture Mm -hmm. uh, for me but uh so like yeah the the main kind of line that's repeated like gonna run run the slow dawn awake gonna run the slow dawn awake what do y'all think uh that that's referring to like what does that mean to you like gonna run the slow dawn awake um you know you can't help but think it's uh especially after those last shows at the Metro, you know, that they were building up to and kind of like you guys were talking about previously, it's got to be in the back of their heads when Darcy exits and it's, you know, and with the things that we've heard in interviews about James starting to withdraw a little bit. Yeah. Um, it does sort of feel like there is a sense of like, I don't know what's coming, but if, if, if whatever it is, I'm going to sort of hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, and that's, and essentially, you know, that's what Billy did with forming Zwan and then doing the future embrace after that is that he was still moving a full forward, full steam, mm-hmm. even, even though by the time future embrace, you know, literally the day it came out, he was ready to dive back into <laughs> right. SP, right. Yeah. You know, that infamous so it, press release. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't like a lot of people will poke fun at that, but I don't begrudge him because no, oh, yeah, he was, you know, that people, nobody's ever going to think smashing pumpkins and especially the lay listener is never going to, you know, think the pumpkins and not automatically picture him, you know, in the forefront, you know? So yeah, it's one of those things. So I really do think just like analyzing that line specifically is that if you think about a slow dawn from the perspective of starting the band in the mid eighties, the mid to late eighties, and then making it all the way to about 10, 11, 12 years later, um, that's, that's like a, that's, that's like almost like you're watching a, a you know, a day transpire in slow-mo because it just feels like you were just there playing a Polish bar with James and a drum machine and then all of a sudden you know you're you're on top of the world uh driving around in a sports car with two poodles you know it's like it's it's one of those it's one of those things where I think it really speaks to just sort of like wait how did we get here but all I know is I've got this momentum and I have to keep moving yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I, I agree with all that that's such a great uh observation and i think that that's like a perfect summation because i couldn't quite put my finger on it and i was like what it, what is it that 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 line you know uh brings to my mind or how does it apply to the band but i think that you put that you know yeah eloquently mm-hmm. thank you um thank you, <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh but i think just some other observations that i had uh again you had mentioned the solo section i love that it, he gets to wail and it's awesome and i think there's a key change too uh, almost mm. like it's a Kiss song. Yeah, uh, yeah. In I, the solo, yeah. you mean? Yeah, in the solo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's funny. Every Kiss I've noticed, every Kiss song uh, has a pretty much has a key change to it. It's just like mm. a standard for a Kiss song. As per also Ace Freely doing hammer-ons and pull-offs like at lightning speed, right? Uh, during that section. But anyway, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, and I love how it settles back in nice to the main uh, section of the song, and then at that last part, have that shred layered guitar that comes in at mm-hmm. like two forty-two to get us out it's just so layered and so amazing and just 
satisfying ending and it's just a great song overall at the end did y'all hear like that bass note moving up uh there's like this little like bass thing that's like couldn't put my finger on it because it reminded me of another pumpkin song that ends like that and i was like maybe it's quiet oh maybe there's some mm. it had some kind of like it r- was reminiscent mm-hmm. of i think another I pumpkin hear what you're song. saying yeah. yeah yeah and that that could have just literally been if it was billy or james playing the bass that could literally have them just been you know sw- like swiping a finger down right you mm-hmm. know like chromatically or something you know just like one one note over but like uh but yeah no i'll have to re-listen to that part because i might have missed that yeah so on genius.com uh uh, user conrad axe says the lyrics are written in the first person through the eyes of our protagonist zero slash glass when compared to the majority of the songs found on machina 2 slow dawn gives the impression of acceptance and relative peace the guitar solo in particular is a lifting of spirit Full of optimism. We can see this turn to optimism in the lyrics as well with the songbirds all around. For this reason, it's very plausible that the song belongs towards the end of the narrative after Glass lost all control only to eventually regain it, rejoining the world below, the midnight people washing down there, and embracing life for what it is. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I guess... Um you could look at Billy like pondering his return to the um, the civilian world or something, knowing his band, his like rock god timer is almost up. Um, whether that was like a self-imposed timer or just a sense that he got from you know the vibe in the air, but yeah, I think there's there's something to it, and also like a slow dawn coming after the end of a long crazy night. You know, yeah. it's kind of a natural progression, but. Yeah, I don't know what's going to belong where on this. I mean, I have some vague senses of sort of centerpiece songs and versions of songs, but having examined all of these kind of closely now, all the puzzle pieces, I'm really anxious to see how they all fit together. Yeah, you only have to wait another year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and, and Billy has come out and said in like the Instagram Q&As and other stuff that basically... Uh, whatever sort of track list like fans have put together has never been anywhere remotely close. So yeah, yeah. It, is, it is a head scratcher as far as what, it, you know, and, and and having listened to Machina One for as long as it's existed in, in, out in the public, um, it's going to be kind of weird. And I felt that way kind of about, um, uh, about certain things with the other reissues where it was sort of like, oh, I'm so used to hearing this song back to back with the, this other song mm-hmm. that it'll be, it'll take some adjusting. But I think if, if, especially with like a, a, a liner notes, lyric sheet, uh, it'll, it'll hopefully all make sense at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on Slow Dawn? It's just good stuff. Just good stuff. Agreed. Um, well, you mentioned an Instagram Q&A, and one thing that's very much on display on old Instagram is vanity. Vanity 
Good one, Pat. Thank you. You know, hey, whatever. You know, <laughs> sometimes we got hits and sometimes we don't. Yeah, that it's one. either that. It's either that or a Prince reference. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Prince and the it, uh, the Prince. Prince and the Cure are our, like uh, references. Just Those are our, like this is yeah. If we ever needed to like, if we ever got sued by the Pumpkins and said don't cover us, they said don't cover us anymore. We could seamlessly transition into a Prince. Yeah, the Cure podcast. Vanity Six. All, all three bands are so, like, on a certain level are intertwined in my mind. They have, like, mm-hmm. uh, a, a centralized figure with Billy, Robert, and Prince himself. Mm-hmm. And then also just the widespread of all the different genres and things that have been covered by each of those artists. I think uh, it makes sense that if somebody's top three favorite bands were The Pumpkins, The Cure, and Prince, because they're just so intertwined. On that note, before we move on to the next song, I just, I would die, not necessarily for you, but I would die to hear the Pumpkins cover uh, Take Me With You off of Purple Oh my God, yes. I think that I mean, computer blue. I think yeah, a lot of stuff off yeah. of oh, yeah, Purple Rain is like perfect yeah. for pumpkin cover. Yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah. especially that that drum intro. Just hearing oh, Jimmy, Jimmy do, do that. Holy shit! You're right. Yeah. It would be fun to put together. Uh, I mean, uh, the the one that Billy and Sierra did cover acoustically that one time is The Cross. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. now, when I listen to it, I'm like, holy shit, this sounds like a pumpkin song. Like, there could, like, the, like, ascending guitar, like, it allows you to maybe hear the pumpkins Prince influence, where they were influenced by Prince in ways Well, that... wasn't there, like, a, wasn't there, like, an early pre-gish demo, like, one of the drum drum machine songs wasn't it actually called like the cross or something like that yeah, yeah there was yeah, there was cross, but yeah. a different song right yeah. i mean it was, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But yes, and I'm sure that was probably, I don't know, I'm sure they were aware of, you know, the Prince song. If it had come out yet, I don't know, it might have been around the same time. Okay, so Vanity, Alan, what are your thoughts on this song? Um, let me let me think about this for a second. Actually, come yeah, back to me. Absolutely. Uh, we will say this: uh, the uh, the same user on Genius.com says these lyrics are a prime example of the apparent career suicide 
Corgan was fully engaged in during this period of his life. In a 2008 interview with Matt Penfield, we love Matt Penfield, 120 mm-hmm. Minutes Forever, he reflected that while a door may have seemed as though it alienated the pumpkins, uh, Machina is what really doomed them. Ironically, the songs off this album have become fan favorites. Ask anyone at a pumpkin show about Machina 2, and you'll find this to be true. While that interview was conducted eight years after this album was released, lyrics like these show us Corgan knew he was alienating himself from his fans. The theme of this song, while never discussed by the band, seemed to be synonymous with the title Vanity. More specifically, the lyrics explore the destructive nature of vanity and the harm it can inflict upon an individual or a group like a band. Uh, And again, that's Conrad Axongenius.com. Uh, this does not reflect our views, but we're just saying what uh, this user had uh, posted. Yeah, now now that I've had a chance to think about it, I think um, the, the song was one that I didn't listen to a lot when I first got my hands on these songs. Um, and it probably got skipped a handful of times, but I think it is one, lyrically one of the more interesting songs because it is it does blur that line between Zero, Glass, and then Billy himself. And, and yeah, I mean, we lived through it, um, but like I do feel there was that period between 98 and 2000 where Billy was very much at odds with the people that he had won over, you know, with, with the band's music. I do remember around a door there was an interview on, on Howard Stern where somebody called in trolling him, basically saying, like, F Billy Corgan. Why are you saying that? We're having a nice time here. Nah, man, it's cool. Traditional kind of Howard kind of caller, you know? Um, And Billy really ripped into him, and it wasn't wasn't just a playful, like, yeah, you're going to talk shit to me, I'm going to talk shit back. It really hit a nerve. Right. Uh, um, Because behind the scenes, you got to think about how shitty it was with Virgin and how they were kind of really mistreating the band. So I do... I, this also makes me think of those live journal blog posts that he would put up that were a precursor to the book that hopefully, crossing my fingers here, comes out eventually. Yeah. Um, because he was talking about how when they were here in the LA area, it was just sort of a haze of, of them experimenting with, with pills and just sort of just sort of like walls going up between the different band members mm-hmm. and they still really hadn't dealt with what happened with Jimmy internally as a group. And, and, and so I do feel like, especially what's that line in there here? I got the lyrics open right here. He says, Eleanor, you've lost me in a haze of white wine and cocaine, gone out and cost me everything I blame, broadcast in TV detail to call their own stories as I try to recapture our best and form, former glories. And I, and I feel like that does sort of speak to what you know we had talked about earlier is sort of just sort of like uh there were a lot of a lot of people you know jumped ship uh around a door and you go from that zenith height of being on rolling stone like two times three times in a year and spin and you know voted one of the best songwriters of a generation and that kind of stuff and then all of a sudden people are like yeah you're done you know like yeah. we're, we're ready to move on that's got to be soul crushing yeah. oh i'm sure yeah and it was such a it's uh, also like the 
we almost don't even have that model of, for bands anymore of like the mm-hmm. heights of fame that, you know, just the magazine cover thing felt so important. Obviously, that doesn't really matter anymore. That doesn't exist. But like and selling units, selling like all these albums and stuff. Yeah, the ascension and the 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 sort of um, it must be dizzying. And then to sort of feel like, oh, you're yesterday's news or you're being devalued in some way, like must really be painful. There must have been like I feel like there was we've talked about this in the other Machina episodes and how there was certainly a lot of cynicism on display and even some like lashing out kind of some sort of middle finger type songs this one feels to me a little more introspective maybe on behalf of himself and, and the band kind of, maybe maybe doing some introspection like on the band's behalf you know um, mm-hmm. and it doesn't quite this feels a little bit more like Billy um like not in character, you know, kind of stepping out of the character and and examining the, the humans in the band. But I will say just this is another one that that, like you said, Alan, he really paints like this strange but like really evocative picture with these lyrics. Um, you can hear the baby bones crack beneath her wheels is the opening line. Like that's like such a like the baby bones crack. beneath. Like it's such a great line. But then the line um Eleanor, you've lost me in a haze of wine and cocaine, which you also uh, mentioned. The the Eleanor, you've lost me is like um, makes me think of a lot of uh, like sort of turns of phrase that the National uses in songs, like a woman oh, yeah, woman's yeah. Na- like addressing the lyric to X person's name. I don't know. It's I'm a sucker for it. It's like a really effective thing to be like. I don't know, the person is singing to you but calling you by this name. You're like a character in the story or something. Exactly. It plays into the the sort of fictitious narrative of the Glass character. But uh, so it's kind of like a red herring because then all of a sudden we're like, who's Eleanor? Is this, yeah. Yeah. you know, Eleanor Rigby, Eleanor Roosevelt? Right. Who are we talking about? Is this somebody that Billy was hanging out with at the time? You know, it, and I think that sort of sleight of hand, that misdirection is sort of the brilliance of that sort of songwriting device that you're talking about because because then it does it 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 it, it camouflages so that sort of introspection and catharsis that comes out of being very open and honest about how damaging some of the things that the band experienced in a very short amount of time um it 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 gives us pause because you know again we're we've got that big question mark drawn over who, who is Eleanor? What is this about? And is, yeah, is Eleanor a stand-in for me, the listener? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, part of me thinks of Darcy, too, when I listen mm, to this song. Yeah. I, like, I can't help but think that Billy is um, maybe referencing Darcy and maybe referencing just problems that plagued the band and materialized like in various people in the band but n- there was none more kind of pronounced than so Darcy. wait let, let me get this straight so you're saying hanging out with Mickey Rourke isn't a good thing <laughs> I mean I didn't say that that I, used to be a, a joke runner on 30 Rock well you know what they say boys if you can't stand the heat get off of Mickey Rourke's sex grill you know there was always some kind of terrible story that yeah it's <laughs> never a good I remember walking around Soho in New York, and I, I, um, I saw I was like I don't know who it was with, but I saw somebody like some young woman, and I was like, oh, it looks like that woman's, she was with a guy, and I was like, oh, it looks like she's like hanging out with Mickey Rourke, and then I realized, holy shit, it is Mickey Rourke. <laughs> run, run! And then he fucking kicked your ass <laughs> for being a nerd. Run home, get out of here. <laughs> um, man, wait, was that around the wrestler? 
It probably was, yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, maybe even after. When did The Wrestler come out? It's a great movie. I'm not going to Yeah. yeah not like going to lie. Thoughts. I can't remember. Maybe 20, 2008, 2009. It was right around there, yeah. yeah. Um, this song hit different for me this time. I was with you, Alan, where like maybe this is the track that I probably would skip once in a while. Like I would still listen to it, but it wasn't like one that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason this past week when I've been listening to it just hit different and I just love the way it builds. It has, I notice it has a fun sway to it that if you take away a little bit of the production, it just feels like a sixties pop song. Mm-hmm. The, the way that it's, it's, uh, written feels like a sixties pop song. Um, and I like those background vocals that pop up in the pre-choruses. I never noticed it before. Mm-hmm. There's like these little background, uh, vocals that pop up. chorus is catchy it's fun uh again like that that bridge really feels like 60s pop to me mm-hmm. um and the solo section is cool uh not too flashy and it's tasteful you know he, he gets away on the last song but this one he kind of does like it's a little bit more subtle mm-hmm. um and then it's cool how it gets a little looser uh, structure wise with the vocals towards the end it kind of you know gets it feels a little bit looser uh, with the vocals and the, the instrumentation as well. And I even like that little like die at the end mm-hmm. of the song that only the room mics are picking up instead of his main yeah, mic. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's got a tone and a feel to it that I that I really dug this time. Yeah, uh, it's it is one of those songs that um, I do. And I feel like that's that's like a hallmark of, of uh, anything pumpkins related is that there are songs that you do have to sort of let gestate and and kind of like take on a vibe or or here's the other thing like he's you know in his you know basically probably by this time in his early 30s you know uh and and so when you're 17 18 19 these songs aren't going to hit you in the same way and i think that's something that the two of you have definitely been talking about over the course mm-hmm. of the whole t- entire podcast is that uh is that a pumpkin song that you may have skipped in 1997 or something might be one of your favorites in right. 2017 just yeah. because you've lived you've experienced and mm-hmm. and uh and it and it just it it hits a it hits a note that you just wouldn't have understood otherwise right and especially because the stuff that the era that we kind of all got hooked in it was like a young adult lyrically speaking kind of purging all of this childhood stuff Mm-hmm. like articulating it like really well and in a way that really connects with someone who might be going through it like currently but yeah this feels like this is definitely some adult um career like dis- you know you've you've taken some blows and seen some weird stuff and kind of seen you've like seen people kind of fall you've seen yeah. yourself stumble well, pat we used to be a-listers in hollywood and we've definitely i know now we're b fall. we're b-list at <laughs> no, best yeah, yeah. you we're, know i would say d i would, would kill argue. for an invite over to uh mickey rourke's house <laughs> good callback that was great yeah. i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't sneeze at that Are you kidding me <laughs> it's like when mickey rourke tested his catapult on me so any final thoughts on vanity um, it, it must die.
All right. Well, I'm feeling fine because it's Saturnine. Saturnine, as we said before, it was an outtake from a door that was re-recorded during the Machina set sessions, and it has uh, alter alternate lyrics to the Adore version. Uh, the Adore version is the one that we hear on the Judas O, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. Yeah, that's the one that's more Depeche Mode-y mm -hmm. uh, with the synths and everything, the, the Adore version. Alan, what are your thoughts on Saturnine? Um, I would say I the main thing I was thinking about it as we were building up to talking about this, um, this song specifically is uh, I really hand you know hands down feel like this is the superior version, mm. not just because it's the rock version because I love you know you you guys we have a lot in common because I love. Nine Inch Nails and I and and I and actually one of my favorite like mini periods of this band specifically is the uh, the the Batman period because I feel mm -hmm. like it yeah. turned out a lot of really interesting instrumentals and stuff like that and I feel I feel like the Saturnine version that would have been on a door that ended up on Judas O has more in common with that sort of 97 98 period yeah whereas whereas this obviously this version there's a lot of Sabbath worship going on oh, in this yeah. in this one, um, and and I, I mean without without the pumpkins, I don't think I would have equally gotten into the post punk stuff and shoegaze stuff I got into, but I wouldn't have gotten into a lot of proto metal and a lot of like classic metal, including Sabbath and Dio and Priest and Rainbow and all that stuff, yeah. and and I feel like um, you know not to get too guitar nerdy, but like. There's a lot of Iomi-esque like um, vibrato going on with these sort of single note lead lines mm -hmm. that are going through the song. Uh, that that it's just it's just so good. It's 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 one of those songs that I've always wanted to hear live and have never gotten a chance to. And then it's just again, and and Pat keeps bringing this up because it's it's totally all over all this era of stuff. But the lyrics are very. Even the song title is just very evocative, yeah. you know. And and I and so this is definitely one of those songs that I never skipped when I was listening to this this portion of of the Machina era. Yeah, man, this one really stood out to me when Machina Two came out. You, Alan, it's funny because you were talking about uh, guitar nerdy tech stuff, and you mentioned a Metal Zone. My very first uh, distortion pedal was a Metal Zone Two from Boss. Uh, mm. And I loved that pedal because you could adjust the EQs on it. Um, but well, what's interesting about the Metal Zone, just to cut in for a second, yeah. is it does really have a tone that is very similar to 
the crate practice amp mm-hmm. that was used for everlasting gaze and also uh you know interestingly enough in the last sort of 10 years in the metal community it's had this huge resurgence of everybody's like oh yeah the metal zone isn't crap it's actually like a key to like you know the the sort of more sort of post pantera modern metal yeah. tone you know so um so anyway but as you were saying no yeah i was just saying because like uh you you hit the nail on the head about the sabbath influence because i wrote down like this feels like a dark storm you know like a fog rising from hell Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and the way that it's just saturated with chorus you know Mm -hmm. i just love the room tone of this and just the way that it feels and again i know it's the lo-fi aspect that adds to it as well uh but the lyrics man like these are completely different lyrics from the the door version and both of them have such insane evocative lyrics like even like like from the beginning to the ages i am speaking to the creatures i am sky bloody simple features everyone chooses sides like what the fuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like friends or enemies of modern music yeah it just yeah yeah it, it, it's, you know, and the, the word Saturnine itself, you know, means sort of slow and gloomy. And that is the song. It is a dirge. And and at the same time, though, that opening stanza or that opening verse is very much in line with something you would have heard from Dio era. Yeah. Saturn. Mm-hmm. It, it has that. I mean, you know, the comic aspect aside, I, you know, you can picture Billy just sort of standing in front of an altar in a wizard garb and mm-hmm. you Absolutely. know he loves that stuff isn't he's a big yeah. dio fan right yeah. yeah yeah so am i, I one mean. of the best voices to ever come out of that genre but oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean this this song fucking shreds. It's awesome. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking of which, uh, again about playing guitar in my teen years, the band I had in high school, I named Saturnine Frequency. Nice. Uh, and people did not get it whatsoever. They're like Saturday Night What? Saturday like, Night Live. No, you don't understand. And I got all pissed off about it. We recorded nothing and played two shows. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, we definitely ripped off the Pumpkins and Deftones. So, uh, of course, yeah. How can you not? Uh, well, yeah, the Deftones are also like in my top five. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and it's the amount of, and I, and I think this period was really interesting because, you know, white, white pony is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And then one of the last pumpkins tours was, uh, that Canadian touring music festival. Oh, Somersault. Where they, Somersault. They did yeah. that with the Deftones and a perfect circle, which is probably how Billy met Paz or Paz. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, from Zwan, and uh, so and so James anyway, started uh, sending out his resume at that point <laughs> to too. a perfect yeah. circle. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> if you ever need anybody, you heard uh, of me? I'll do clerical work. <laughs> I'll do whatever. Yeah, I had a T-shirt because I was a Our Lady Peace fan too, and uh, their fan club had like a giveaway, and I had won a T-shirt that had because it had like Catherine Wheel on it too, which is one of my other favorite bands. But yeah, I wore that shirt all the time. How did how did you deal with Billy slagging them on much music during a door? Oh, I I didn't like mine. Our Lady Peace. Yeah, Our Lady Peace. I didn't mind about. it because I remember like when um, Clumsy came out 
in like 97 mm-hmm. i was like well i'm waiting for new pumpkin stuff anyway i'm like this will bridge that gap <laughs> i didn't think they sounded similar at all really i'm like if anything i never just... thought about it and i heard a lot of our lady piece because uh, yeah. you know they were heavy in heavy radio rotation it, with my proximity to canada in buffalo so I, yeah yeah I'm thinking why And I'm also like of that mind because, you know, he was that way with placebo and like even Silver Sun pickups like later on. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I still enjoy these bands. It's like, whatever. They don't have to like each other. So right. I kind of just left it kind of as it was. And uh, I really liked Our Lady Peace when I saw them live in mm-hmm. the, the 90s. And then they lost uh, their guitarist, Mike, and then they started sounding like Creed. And I wasn't too big on that. So. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, yeah, my my introduction to them, of course, like a lot of people, was clumsy, yeah. and and I could I could hear that it was in a similar vein to the Pumpkins. But yeah, I always thought there were other bands that Billy nailed that totally, totally were ripping off the Pumpkins. Like uh, like Feeder was one of the bands. Oh that yeah, I used into. to love that band too. Yeah. And they were they were good at what they did, and yeah, they borrowed a lot from today and mayonnaise with their big song high. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but like there was there was there was good stuff. Now there was a band from San Diego called Rust, and yeah, uh, we talked it, about Rust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. They have a song that totally sounds like Silverfuck. And uh, and and so that was another band that he name checked, I think, in a Kevin and Bean Breakfast with Billy Corgan thing back in the '90s. But anyway, uh, Saturnine. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, this is part of the podcast. I mean, as you, I'm sure you know from listening, is that we go on these little musical tangents. We love it. We love yeah. the tangents. It adds more work for me to do these drops, but I love it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just want to talk about some of the all. Oh, well, first of all, yeah, I said I think I already mentioned this, but how the drums add a little flourish to the second verse, kind of with the like tapping and stuff. I love that. But the alternate lyrics, it says from that top part where I talked about to the ages I am speaking to the creatures I am sky blood simple features everyone chooses aside versus this clever make the world weary to pull it from to pull it from its moorings to fawn the young wicked roost to weather the coming storms yeah that's uh, that's our Billy uh, yeah uh, okay. yeah that's our Billy for sure uh, <laughs> and I always thought it was goodbye all you weirdos Oh yeah, but it's yeah, widows. I did too. Actually, yeah, I have several misheard for years lyrics that um, are going to be hard to to unlearn because, and maybe that maybe I won't. Yeah, but I also like that little kind of. There's like a pause it takes at like 144. the sustained guitar and then the drum beat Mm -hmm. i really like that moment and uh great guitar sustains that reverb that reverb echo is just amazing um 
yeah, I just really loved it the first time I heard it, and I still love it. Uh, I love that kind of flange tape hiss sound uh, at the ends with that reverb clack, you know, mm-hmm. and you hear the rolling thing. I, I like also that on this these, EP, these EPs, you can hear the behind-the-scenes stuff. Totally, There's a lot yeah, of, like, yeah. studio banter, yeah, which yeah. adds to it, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah, when, when when we get to Lucky Thirteen, we'll definitely talk about oh, yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, actually speaking about that verse you just brought up, Frank, um, that the second line of that where he's like tear stained underneath, for some reason, I mean, it's an obvious echo, but I feel like this kind of makes this a sister song to both versions of Blue Skies Bring Tears. Yeah, because it, it it does have that kind of um, sad and gloomy kind of um, almost. It almost feels like gr- like this song is about grieving and about loss. Yeah, you know, um, very much so in the way that uh, the other two versions of Blue Skies definitely does, especially the Machina One version. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so, so yeah. Well, it's funny because you you mentioned earlier about the Adore version um, about how it kind of fits into the the eye you know, yeah. uh, end is the beginning or beginning is the end kind of mm-hmm. period. But the last tour that they did, they did play that chunk of songs back to back where they yeah. played the Adore version of Saturnine. And I can't remember the exact order, but they had I mm-hmm. and then um, beginning is the end is the beginning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I remember seeing them in on the in plain song oh, yeah, they tour. Played it in they plain played song, it yeah. there. And I was like, holy shit, because it was always one of my favorites. And it just felt, yeah, they played and they I think they played it back to back with I. Yeah. But it was definitely more of the um, the Judas O Adore version, which I think I, just, I I'm excited to talk about Judas O because I listened to that a lot. That I just like spun that CD a lot. But um Oh yeah. 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 This... I mean, because you are is one of those songs where it's like, why wasn't this on the record? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> such a trove of i mean this whole thing is a trove of good stuff but um yeah i just i I, so i actually listened to that version i think a lot more than this even though i did listen to this a lot this album a lot but um yeah there's something really infectious about this that riff that's almost like um that like it's all like i i don't even is it a guitar or is it a bass i can't even tell what it is maybe i need to listen to it more closely but i i'm not entirely sure because this was also a, a period because billy on on the evening with the smashing pumpkins tour he did pull out um a seven string ibanez so it might actually be like a baritone mm-hmm. or something yeah. in the mix yeah like, and i and that's also a very robert smith uh move to pull is 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 uh pulling and also peter hook and stuff like that mm-hmm. to pull in these sort of uh, alternately stringed instruments to give to give it a heaviness but then again like you guys were talking about in an earlier episode they were drop tuning for this record so it could easily just be the lower mm-hmm. strings of a regular six string too. yeah right. like c tuning or something yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, any final thoughts it reminded me it feels like um just it, it evokes an image of being kind of marched through some sort of like futuristic 
a like courthouse in like a Kafka novel or something, you know, accused of like thought crimes against the state or something, you know, like <laughs> something where you're being marched to trial and it's not going to be a fair trial. It's not going to be a good trial. Here it's we not going to work Pat. out well for you. Here we go, Pat. Are you going to be saying how like, oh, today really mirrors 1984. Oh, boy. Look around, people. <laughs> I just saw a meme the other day that said uh, ACAB also includes George Orwell, so I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> uh, but uh, but but yeah, no, no, it does. Which that's interesting, Pat, because you're you're doing to me what you always do to Frank. You're blowing my mind here. Nice, because <laughs> uh, because uh, then that puts that in the same territory directly as Porcelina. Mm-hmm. There's there's some sort of like you know crossover, and you're saying it's more um, more in terms of of the actual music, but I also think. You know, uh, like the 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 speaker in the song that Billy is evoking does kind of have that sort of, uh, you know, kind of British judge with the wig kind yeah, of vibe yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's definitely tinges of Pink Floyd throughout this, and that you Absolutely. know, which like that the the wall kind of. I mean, I'm sure he's like channeling like maybe this whole album that the aspirational version of it was kind of meant to be. Well, I guess they compared Melancholy to The Wall anyway. But, but this, I feel like, is way closer to The Wall. Closer. This is closer. I feel this like Machina like... is way, way closer to The Wall. Than yeah, even just the name Melancholy. Machina. Like, it's, you know, the thing that, the big unfeeling metal thing that, like, devours you. As opposed to Melancholy is this very lush kind of, you know, um, I don't know, like, organic vibe kind of yeah we talked about how it feels like a play where uh melon or uh, siamese dream felt like a movie mm-hmm. melancholy felt like a like a broadway play yeah, yeah yeah and this is like the um the rock musical <laughs> the, the rock <laughs> opera yeah well if we ever do get a, a broadway pumpkin show i mean a lot of this stuff should show oh. up even if it's not as easily Absolutely. definitely i mean that's all i could think i mean that's I, I listening to this chunk of machina 2 i really just kept picturing this like as a staged or the like as moments like certain songs as moments of like a big staged three unfinished theatrical experience you know, interest, interestingly enough, I did see a theater troupe with a live band, uh, God, about like six or seven years ago in downtown LA, like off of 7th, not too far from, uh, It's it was actually right next to Bestia. Um, they did Melancholy all the way through and they tried to do it as a musical. Oh, wow. um, it, it was, it, the band was great. They did a really good job, even though the, the guitar player was playing a Les Paul instead of a Strat, uh, but that's a fan quibble for sure. Um, but um, and there was only one guitar player, but they did a really great job of trying to personify characters like Junebug and Justine and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think this is something that definitely separates this band from the Seattle bands and a lot of the other bands that were coming up at the time is that I think you can take a band like Soundgarden and you could translate their songs into something like a uh, like a comic book or something like that in terms of some of the earlier stuff. Yeah. But but I. With the pumpkins, I think it's, and this is something that they always shot for, which was it does kind of give itself over to being this big multimedia experience. Mm -hmm. And and something you guys were talking about was like the sort of early flash animation stuff on the Machina Era website. And, And I think, and it's something that the band, even giving this album away for free, they were trying to, Billy's always sort of been a futurist and sort of pushing things forward. And, and I think, the idea of taking 
a whole entire collected works that is so evocative of a overarching storyline and and very visual and that's my favorite thing about the machina era even down to the song titles they are so imagistic that um that why wouldn't this be you know where's julie Taymor? why can't we get this on screen <laughs> right you I know mean, yeah well if it ever happens uh, pat and i are tech avail Yep, we will make it happen. We will, yeah, we will, we will make. The I'll, time. I'll go for coffee, man. I'll, I'll be there too. You'll go for, uh, but don't just don't bother us about paper towels, though. No, 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 no. I, I learned my lesson when I was a young man. Oh boy. Um, well, maybe in that moment you felt like a bit of an ass, but in this moment we're going to talk about a bit of a glass. Glass, this theme, aka Glass, aka alternate version, aka Spacey version, has alternate lyrics from the one that we know on Machina 2 proper. Alan, what are your thoughts on Glass? Okay, so I was more of a fan of the one that was on, you know, Machina 2 proper uh, because it was more guitar heavy. Because right. in this mix, Billy's vocals are way up front and Jimmy and Billy are the loudest things as they, you know, kind of to an extent, especially with Jimmy, as they should be. I would often not listen to this version in lieu of listening to the other version, but listening to it for the podcast, what came across to me is this, much like the Machina One version of Heavy Metal Machine and Everlasting Gaze seemed like a comment on the rise of new metal. Even even when Jimmy at the end plays the... Uh, the, the chorus drum part solo by himself at the end, to me, I was like, why does this sound like Clown by Korn? The intro to that song. Yeah. And again, and I was I was a huge new metal kid, uh, like after my, my, I never stopped. I wasn't one of those kids who like went through phases. They all just sort of layered on top of each other. Yeah. Um, like, like a, like a salad or something. And so, so while I was still being, you know, the, the alternative kid, I was like, who are these bands in my backyard that are coming up? And, um, and Corn and Deftones were two of those bands. Um, but I think especially now, um, with, you know, Limp Biscuit somehow making somewhat of a comeback. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Woodstock '99 documentary that was just on HBO. Yeah, Lollapalooza. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot uh, to think about this, and obviously a lot of those musicians, you know, looked up to the band, especially Chino, and and uh, and even Fred Durst told Billy once, I think that Gish is his favorite Pumpkins record. But like, uh, there was sort of. Oddly enough, there was this pushback to sort of like the hair metal kind of misogyny. Mm-hmm. And and that would be something that obviously a band that had a female member for years wouldn't be down with. So I do think the the production style of this, because yeah, a lot of those bands, the vocals would be way up in front, whereas Billy was more buried in previous things. I think from a production standpoint, 
this version is supposed to be like, okay, we're going to be balls to the wall in your face because that's what the kids are listening to. But why? Why are they listening to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this reminds me of the anecdote. I don't remember what interview it was in, but you remember? We, I think we were just talking about it. Where Billy, oh, maybe it was the Gish anniversary at uh, Zuzu's, where Billy and Jimmy were reminiscing about rehearsing next door to some metal band, mm-hmm. and they would break it. They would start playing the riffs that the metal band was playing, like in a way where just smoke them and smoke and do it like better like to the point where the band was like wait are you making fun of us but then they were also like doing a way better they weren't like you know they were like (laughs) succeeding at it better than the the band like that made me think of this like because the the overall effect is like really wild like the 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 and maybe part of this is just the audio you know version that we're working with but the overall effect is so fuzzed out it almost has like a like a and the pacing it's got almost like a chip tune feel to it but like mm-hmm. way more metal you know um yeah i don't know it kind of sounded to me like the band playing on several different floors of like a concrete building or something yeah. like that and they're mm-hmm. all playing bass yeah like, yeah very low tune like that's what i really stood out i was the same way alan where i was like oh, i i didn't listen to it i think i wasn't a fan of both glasses uh of like glass versions i was mm-hmm. just like whatever i kind of skip yeah. it or whatever but you know again coming back to it this time i really like uh the one that's on machina too but this one especially i don't know it caught me by surprise because it just sounds sludgier and nastier and i mm-hmm. kind of love it it just sounds like everybody's playing like low tuned bass it's just got this sludge to it that's really fun mm-hmm. and jimmy's drumming is insane and yeah i i can you imagine hearing this version live like mm. it would just I don't know. I think it would be really cool. And then that little like break they take and then you hear Jimmy's cough uh, to that and then it goes into that chat and then boom. cuts out again i there's something about it's got this charm to it that i really liked this time yeah that yeah. i didn't catch however you know many other times i've listened to it mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, oh yeah definitely it's it's one of the pieces from this material that has sort of aged well and it sounds more in line with the production style that they do now um where billy is up front and center in the mix um the other thing too is um it's interesting because even though it does feel like sort of a reaction to where heavy heavy music was at at the time, it's very it's still very much worshiping at the altar of seventies rock. Like the, the the chorus is, uh, you know, what is that line about the wall? You, you know? set up uh, well, yeah, because in this version he says, uh, "You set up the walls," but in the Machina Two version he says, "You put up the walls." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that part, I, it makes me think of like something like uh, Ace of Spades by Motorhead, yeah. or even or, or even like Thin Lizzy to an extent. Oh yeah. Um, and so I, I do feel like there there's a, a lot of that going on. And you know, this is one of those songs where if they were playing it, gigging it post the recording of this, they probably would have played it like five or ten times faster than they even do on here. Um, you know, because they had that tendency with a lot of their their heavier songs. Um, but I, I do feel like this this is one of those those songs that is is it's I mean even down to the the lyrics again you know the, the I'm shattering fast stuff 
but again, evocative, very like, you know, words as pictures, things going on. I've got a lot of tears in a bloodstained jar. Yeah. I mean, that's how, how metal is that? Yeah. That is so fucking metal that like too much metal for one hand, you know, like that's like, <laughs> that's, that's how metal that is. Um, but the other thing is it really, this song. And then when we are talking about this version of Saturnine, I do feel like they are somewhat like you could put them on a playlist back to back with the song he did with Tony Iommi, Black Oblivion, and lyrically and sonically, it would make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I dig it. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, it's more metal than metal. I mean, it's it's. I I thought of the Ace of Spades on the previous episode we did talking about White Spider, not because it sounds like it, but it like brings. The, it's like the pumpkins. To me, it struck me as like, and this feels similar, like a pumpkin's take on sort of an Ace of Spades type of uh, you know energy. And that is the conclusion of our EP1 coverage. What we're going to do now is actually split these episodes into three parts. Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, recording ended up being about three hours long. Uh, and we're like, well, what's the best way to do this? And of course, uh, Pat came up with the genius idea of like, well, let's release it an uh, uh, episode each. I'm always kind of thinking outside the, the bun. So yeah, three EPs, three EPs, eps. So enjoy. And until next time, a very temporary farewell and good night.